welcome to the Going Deep podcast. As always, joining me is Brandon Angelo with Angelo underscore fantasy on X. I'm Matt Waldman. And we we got the memo, apparently, because we're both wearing the same shade shirt here. There we go. Same shade, long sleeve shirt. That's like we're on the same team here, which I, I'm glad we're on the same team here. So it's, Absolutely. you know, so this week we got a, a few things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about, you know, quarterback charting, maybe talking more about, you know, Trevor Lawrence, C.J. Stroud, you know, maybe what charting tells us and the contextualizing of, of maybe it's data. Um, or how it can be contextualized better or how well it is contextualized. We'll, we'll see where it takes us. Um, then we'll talk about maybe, you know, be careful what you ask for with Tony Pollard, with people clamoring for, you know, him to be the main guy over Ezekiel Elliott. And now we're looking at a guy whose efficiencies aren't quite all what they were stacked up to be. And then we'll take a look at a, a running back who just got cut, who is – I, you know, I'm kind of actually celebrating this and picking the guy up, but we're going to talk about him later. I'm not even going to mention him by name um, because I think he's someone that you probably should take a speculative addition to in dynasty yeah. leagues right now, especially for the fact that he got cut. Um, he's more valuable in the open market than he was um, for his team. So, yeah. so let's just start with this. You know, um, for the past couple of weeks, I've had people ask me, is C.J. Stroud really like uh, an elite quarterback? And then uh, on the other end, I keep getting asked, Trevor Lawrence, his his data looks really bad this year. And, and in year one, you know, I know that we talk about Urban Meyer basically committing crimes against football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, with... To put it lightly. Yeah, yeah for Trevor, what he did to the to the Jaguars and and how Trevor Lawrence had to play through that. But now can we really forgive Trevor Lawrence? Cause he's, you know, his numbers look really bad, especially when you start looking at things like turnover to touchdown differential or or turnovers per game. And when you rate him that way, apparently he's like 24th in turnovers per game among starting quarterbacks this year and 32nd i think or 34th in like turnover differential um so you you know i'll just set it up this way for you brandon i i decided to look at that because people kept asking me about it and they were saying that you can't excuse you know urban meyer based on what he's doing this year so i started you know i've watched enough trevor and i'm thinking He's still making the throws that got me, that had me impressed with him. And I mean, you know, I don't go for the buzz of like, he's a generational prospect. I think I stopped doing that around Andrew Luck. Um, Yeah, sure. You know, I think that's the last time I kind of fell for that. Um, But, but I, you know, I still saw what I liked from Trevor Lawrence as an above average, you know, prospect. If you're going to group them among starter caliber prospects and, and then when I'm looking, I'm going, well, he's under a lot of pressure. And then I start looking at like, you know, so I, so I said, you know what? I'm just going to look at the film and I'm going to chart all his turnovers and just see what those turnovers were. And, you know, come lo and behold, two of his interceptions were balls that bounced off of Tank Bigsby's hands. Two of his fumbles were snaps over his head. And they're both plays that are going to be Lawrence's fault 
but everybody with any bit of common sense other than the NFL scoring table, because, you know, it's kind of like the IRS's tax laws, um, you basically you have to say it's Trevor Lawrence's fault. So then I then I started looking, and there were even some more things like blindside sacks, where he wasn't standing in the pocket for too long. He finished his drop, brought the ball back, and literally had the ball about to move forward when he's blindsided hit and the ball's knocked loose. And on one of those plays, um, one of those plays was a, a DeForest Buckner hit where the entire two teams were literally standing there thinking that the play was over because the ball had come forward. Lo and behold, it took three seconds for one of the Colts guys to go, wait, they didn't blow the whistle. And yeah. they returned it. So when I looked at that, when I added it up, there were of his six fumbles, four of them were clearly not Lawrence's fault. You right. know, two of them you could say questionable because one he threw to like Bigsby, like one like one of them he threw was a lateral and it was dropped, like bounced off the hands of Jamal sure. Agnew. Yeah. And one, Absolutely. and then one was, he was getting hit by Chris Jones as he was throwing it. And it went behind Bigsby and it was behind the line of scrimmage and it bounced out of bounds, but it was still ruled a fumble on his part. So even those, you know, even like the ones that I, that I kind of said, those were clearly Lawrence's fault. You could kind of be generous to him and say they're kind of questionable. Like you're looking at those and going, was he really careless with the ball or was it that it's just football and that right. happens? You know, so when I looked at that and looked at the numbers and contextualized it, he, he went from like, you, you know, basically from the bottom end on both those stats that people were saying are damning to like one, he was the middle of the pack and the other, he was in the, he was like top five. Right. Um, this year he's just not scoring a lot of touchdowns so you know i bring this up because on the opposite end i guess cj stroud apparently is like according to pff his you know bad throw rate is worse than the league and that his accuracy placement on some throws is actually not so hot either like if i were i'll read it to you because i don't, don't remember it for sure and i don't want to do like it injustice um but let's see, where is it here? News. All right. So CJ Stroud, let's see. Look up Texans. I saw it was just in a news piece in our newswire at football guys. And it made me laugh a little bit because, okay. So while he owns a passer rating of 128.66 this season when targeting Noah Brown, he owns a league worst 20.7% bad throw rate and a 28 which ranks 28th, and he also ranks 28th in on-target percentage at 72.2%, according to Pro Football Reference. So, you know, when we look at these stats, you know, you're looking at C.J. Stroud, and you're going, well, he he looks great on film, but, you know, to some people, you know, and his stats are looking right. great, but you're not telling me he's not elite yet? And then, like, with Trevor Lawrence, people are like, well... He's just not that good, you know? So what do you think, Meg, with this stuff? <laughs> it's, you know, it's, um, it's paralysis by analysis in a lot of it, I yeah. think, in my opinion. Because what you're doing is you're taking small snippets of data and then just kind of pigeonholing the, the quarterback in this sense and saying he's good or bad. You have yeah. two options. Yeah. 
it's this massive gray area a lot of these guys are working in and it's not all their fault but it's not all it's like not all their progress either right i think cj stroud what he's doing is really impressive from the standpoint of he's going through games unfazed yes and he's working through big moments and he's doing that stuff he doesn't look very green right he doesn't look like a rookie in that sense no. and that's the impressive part right i don't care what it, any of this like any of like the advanced stats say on cj Stroud. what i see with the houston texans is a team that is much better than i thought they would be i think than anyone thought they'd be sure. with who they have from a personnel standpoint and i think we're seeing tank dow become one of the more intriguing young options in the league at receiver because he's the he's the engine of that offense right now like he and Stroud have this awesome connection rookie to rookie right now um and it makes sense why the texans brass asked Stroud, who, who do you want at receiver he said go get me tank dell and we can kind of see that connection because just like you and i talked about a couple shows ago what makes travis kelsey and patrick mahomes so great is that they have this instinctual connection to improvise, like this instinctual improvisation. They have that part of it. And we're seeing some of that same stuff with Stroud and Dow. And that stuff, statistically, you can't chart, right? That That's some of that giant gray area that we're looking at with those two, but also to the inverse in Jackson. We have Trevor Lawrence, uh, bottom, in my opinion, a bottom five offensive line. They can't run block very well. They're wasting. Travis Etienne is a great player. They're they're kind of wasting his progression. And he has progressed. Yeah, immensely, significantly, immensely. Yes. Right since since his days at Clemson. But man, I mean, you you don't have the line to protect. You don't have the line to to create a run game, right? And you're also missing, in my opinion, you're missing a primary option. Calvin Ridley doesn't look all that good as a primary option, in my opinion. And that's kind of an issue where you brought him in thinking this is the number one for Trevor. And Christian Kirk has been, like, he's been the best receiver by a mile. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, it just the whole the offensive ecosystem in Jacksonville's just not very good, right? You can't protect Trevor, right? You, you can't run the ball with Travis Etienne, and you don't have a, a go-to option. It's kind of like what we're seeing, too, a little bit in New England, right? And they're all out of whack, right? Mac Jones has been benched for the upteen time, it seems like, and they don't look good at quarterback. Bill Belichick might be in the outs. Like, it's a whole – it's a whole – Yeah, we go. it's a it's a whole mess when you're talking about New England and what they're kind of going through too. And like I said, Bill Belichick and Jones, but a lot of it stems from you need on the outside or wherever it is on the field, you need a primary player. Like you have in the NFL today, think of how many offenses operate with not a guy, right? Not, I don't think any. Yeah. And you see how it stunts the growth of young quarterbacks, right? 
look at the difference between C.J. Stroud right now and Bryce Young. We thought Bryce Young was number one, number one overall pick. C.J. Stroud has Nico Collins. He's good, a good X receiver. Tank Dell has been awesome. Dalton Schultz is a really great safety blanket for a young player. Then you go in the inverse, you go to Bryce Young, and he has DJ Chark, who's not a starting caliber NFL receiver anymore. You have Adam Thielen, who is in his early 30s, who is a kind of that Dalton Schultz type safety blanket. I, he's not a number one receiver anymore in the NFL. And, uh, you know, you have a Mingo who's not learning. a starting caliber receiver right now. He's learning, he's growing. And you have a run game that features features Chuba Hubbard and Miles Sanders. Yeah, like that is not a great offensive environment to learn and grow from. And you're rolling um, and you're rolling out Bryce Young into, yes. into Tommy Trembles blocks. Yes, it's not exactly. Really a very good idea. No. Yeah. So it, it it's just it is it's so much more than than like the data says. Like Trevor Lawrence isn't bad. I think he's a very good NFL quarterback, but. It's just not – it's not going to work right now with what they have, right? You, you kind of set him up for failure. You set Bryce Young up for failure. Mac Jones, I mean, he hasn't been great by any stretch, but you set it up for failure. Who does he have to throw the ball to? You know, the Mario Douglas is your number one option. Yeah, yeah. That's not great. No. <laughs> he wouldn't be – he wouldn't even be on the field for a lot of teams, even though no. he's playing well. But yeah. that's – but that's the thing is I think, you know, when you talk about contextual, when we talk about contextualizing the data, then we take a look at, say, you know, um, Trevor Lawrence with this particular scenario. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I know that you can make a counter argument about the, the, the plays I factored out saying, you know, four of his, you know, if I said five of his seven turnovers really shouldn't be counted towards him. And that changes, you know, those numbers. Well, you could probably say that there are every player probably has some of those plays that you could factor out. And sure. I would, and I would say, yeah, that's a fair argument, and you should yeah. probably look into that. But I would bet, I'd be willing to bet that Trevor Lawrence has more of those this year than uh, most of the players that uh, we would be factoring. A hundred percent. It's like I remember as a game, you know, a few years ago, Patrick Mahomes played. And he had, I think, three picks, and all three picks bounced off the receiver's hands. And in the box score, you know, he has one touchdown, three interceptions. Two of the picks were in the red zone. You think he had an awful game? No. He made the play. Yeah. His receiver did not. Yeah. Right? And that's the issue is, you know, a lot of times we just, we just see it very black and white when there is this larger shade of gray of what, happens in an actual NFL game. So that's why context in this case is super important because Patrick Mahomes in that game didn't do anything wrong, put the ball in the receiver, three interceptions happened, fine. Trevor Lawrence, same thing. He tosses, takes Bigsby, counts you know, backwards pass, a fumble on Trevor Lawrence's part. Snap goes over his head, Trevor Lawrence's fall, right? So that's the thing is, like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Like, where do we, you know, where do we come off saying this player is, is good, this player is bad? And I think, you know, a really interesting one is, like, early in the season, we were talking about Brees Hall. Yeah. And everybody was saying, oh, my gosh, Brees Hall is bad. He had that. He had two massive runs. Yeah. After the two massive runs, we have seen significant 
stagnation. Yeah. Maybe he's not back. Yeah. Right. Like, like maybe he, maybe there is another step he needs to take, or maybe the, the New York football jets are not a very good offensive unit for Brees Hall. Yep. And that could be true as well. So it's, it's it's a lot of moving parts, but you know, people who are listening to this and souring on Trevor Lawrence, I urge go out and if you're in the dynasty leagues, go grab a share too. Yeah. People are people are like, oh, cannot stand what he's doing. I mean, there's gotta be some positive regression in this standpoint. Um, because there's so many things have not shaken his way that aren't his fault. And it, it can really for him, like looking at the from a contextual standpoint, get better. And if it doesn't, because he's playing teams with good pass defenses like the Bengals and the and the Browns and the Carolina Panthers um, as part of the remaining schedule, though he also has the Buccaneers who are awful and yeah. a couple other um, mid mid to mid to meh teams. I would put it that right. way. Not the, to the way, but you know, yeah. even even so, if he doesn't get better, that just is further going to entrench the 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 people who are soured on him and you're going to be able to get him for you know maybe low-end quarterback one high-end quarterback two value um down the line which is good and i think that's what you know this is why and another point i want to make is that this is why um scouts and coaches when they're asked by reporters about box score stats at the end of a game that they usually say, well, we're going to look at the tape and determine what we yeah. saw from there. And because, A, it's probably the first they've heard the box score stat. They're not keeping, they're not looking at a box score while they're coaching. They're watching the game and they're, and they're, and they're noting a million things other than like how many touchdowns he had or how, you know, somebody might have told him, somebody at the end of the game, oh, he needs one more touchdown to break this record or he's about, you know, he's got four today. Oh, really? He's got four today? Oh yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, that's the kind of thing you're thinking yeah. when you're on the oh, field. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It was. It was funny. Like you bring that up because it was the Alvin Kamara Christmas game. Yeah. Against the Vikings, and they put in Taysom Hill at the goal line. Yeah. And that would have been like Alvin Kamara's record-breaking touchdown. And they add Sean Payton. And he's like, oh, if I would have known, I would have put it Alvin. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, they don't know. Like, no. their job isn't to know these things. No. Like, their job is to win the game. Yeah, yeah. he's not trying to wreck Kamara, you know, no. from that type of thing. You know, it's the same thing. Like, I mean, the the most classic one everybody knows is Walter Payton not scoring in the Super Bowl. Um, yes. You know, and they them putting Fridge in and them realizing at the end of the game that they didn't give the ball to Walter Payton. And I think that haunts some of the coaching staff and oh and no they've gone on day. record yeah yeah as a chicago like man yeah um that's one thing I, I remember and they asked it was like a uh it was like an 85 bears reunion right and they asked asked dick hey like what is something that throughout your career you're great like the number one thing i regret in my whole entire life is not getting into walter pay at the one yard yeah yeah and this is just in like you're trying to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough with that. So I think that people need to understand, and especially with college, 
you've got to understand that if you're when you're charting, you know, I know lots of people who chart and people chart differently. And, and I would love to compare notes with people in the scouting world who chart because I've done that with some other people as well who were in that in that world with like I've seen their charting systems compared to mine. And I like I like looking at that stuff because it's fun to see how they contextualize stuff. Um, right. And and I think that really does matter because at the end of the day, you know, when I look at Trevor Lawrence and how I chart, I'm looking for was it a good decision? Was it a bad decision? Was right. it a you know? And and then if I'm going to drill down on that a little bit more, maybe the shades of gray would be things like was it a bad decision? But was it driven by um, a difficult down and distance pressure situation? Or was it something that he should have just known it doesn't matter? Like, you know, because you hear the fan and you get the tough guy fan. And we've all been the tough guy fan sitting in our Barker lounger going, what was on his hands? He should have caught it, you know. Yeah, or for sure. You know, or how does he not do that? Come on now. He's got to be able to do that. That's fundamental. And you're just angry half the time. But then there's some where you look at and go, am I going to really penalize a a quarterback for fumbling when the ball is literally right here and a split second earlier or later, the ball's coming forward and yeah. he's hit by, you know, Joey Bosa and Chad and um, yeah, Chad chase young, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean like, really, am I going to, am I'm really going to like say that was a bad decision or I'm going to, or I'm going to look at all the other plays I watch where He's throwing around Texans linebackers in his face and fitting a, you know, 15 yard out, you know, with somebody around him. Or he's he's waiting an extra second for that safety blitz to come to just make sure that Kirk is open and literally has the 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 cornerback for the Steelers bending him in half as he fires a ball like 30 yards downfield only where chase young can make that or i'm assuming um chase young um christian kirk to be able to make that catch i mean when you see play after play with that and you go am i going to penalize the guy for the same behavior that had that success and the answer is sometimes yes but it's got to be it's got to be a situation where it's very clear if it's like bang bang play that's just a it's just a good play and by the defender and i think that's where people people like to make that argument and they don't understand and i think if you've chart or you scout players or you've played the game you you understand that nuance but if you don't don't do any of those things or haven't it's easy to say well you know i'll some you know one people one person looks at that and says it's good that was a good broken tackle but that was a that was just poor tackling on that end you right. know when it can be both it can yeah. you know and and i think that we that's where i think contextualizing the game further is more important and where stats for quarterbacks can really still be missing is the point is that the box score doesn't always give enough context and sometimes the group of people who you are having grade for you may not really also be on the same page with yeah, what context that's the, matters. That's the toughest part, I think, too, is, you know, there's so many different types of grading. There's so many different types of charting, 
and you know people get it's 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 human error too like people are giving these grades and that's the tough thing is like you look at those as like very black and white like i said but a lot of times like if a quarterback throws 10 interceptions and only two or three of those are his own mistakes well he didn't really throw 10 interceptions like that were his fault yeah. So, and that's the thing is, but you we think about it, oh, man, like, that number's really high, right? Like, this is an undraftable player. But really, like, you got to look at, especially when we're talking about quarterbacks going in the NFL draft, like, people look at, like, what those picks look like. Yeah. Were they, like, tight window throws? Were they just misreads, like, fires, like, stuff like that? But, like, you know, if it bounce, like I said, bounce off receiver's hands, it's tipped and picked like or was a hail mary and things you know what i mean like stuff like that where it's like you know if let's say three hail marys get picked in a year like that's three interceptions yeah yeah where you have, no, yeah. yeah i mean lamar jackson was a perfect example of this um with the whole everybody wants that whole 62 percent completion thing and he was at 58 i guess but then when you mm-hmm. when you actually you know and i don't even look at completion percentage i just chart plays based on where where the quarterback threw the ball and whether right. it was a pinpoint throw based on the, the route, the placement choice for that route, or the placement choice relative to that defender on that route. So it, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have to be like in stride, Jerry Rice on a crossing route. Right. You know, it could be back shoulder or skidding into the corner of the end zone and digging out a throw with an incredible effort, but that's right. the only place the ball could have been thrown. That's pinpoint right. to me, even if the receiver had to make a Herculean effort exactly. on that play. So, you you know, you, when you look at those things and then you look at a guy like, you know, like Lamar Jackson, you go, oh, suddenly, oh, wait a minute. He's well over 60% if you were to look at it from that perspective. Or yeah. you look at it in a different way and say, why don't I just break it down by all quadrants of where he throws the ball, pressure or no pressure, zone or man, which the best that I can tell. Sometimes I can't. You know, it is... You know, is he above the average or is he below the average for what next gen stats say an NFL player should be able to do in those situations? And I think that those are things for people to remember. And when we look at Stroud, I'll just wrap up and say, you know, with Stroud, I love what I'm seeing. I agree yeah. with you completely. But let's just, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching who they've played, and they haven't played. The Texans haven't played like great defenses on a consistent basis. I'll say that. And, you know, I've seen him make some throws where you go, yeah, that's going to come back to bite him. He's going to have some more of those moments. Yeah. It doesn't mean he's going to be – I don't think he's going to be a bust. I think he's going to be a very good NFL starter. Thought thought he was going to be a good NFL starter. But I don't think that we should be talking about him as a top five quarterback right. this many games in when Logan when Logan Wilson was is baiting him and he had – he's had some near misses in a lot of games that could have, you know, had people spinning a different narrative. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. No, I, I, I 100% agree. Yeah. Scott, you gotta give it some time. Yeah. So, you know, with that in mind, time's kind of caught up a little bit with Tony Pollard. We, you know, Tony Pollard for the past, what, three, four years, everyone and their mother in Dallas has been basically begging online that they get rid of Ezekiel Elliott, they bench Zeke, 
and they put Pollard in and let him get all the touches, let him be the main man. It's clear that he's way better than Zeke and that all these excuses about offensive line and and scheme and and you know and injuries they're just excuses zeke's old he's he's slow he he's he doesn't run the ball very well anymore he's, and he's overpaid on top of all of that well funny funny what you get what you ask for because now tony pollard you, you know tony pollard does not look all that good on the stat sheet we'll just put it that way and now people are like we're gonna give rico Dowdle more touches or the cowboys are saying that and i like rico you know but but i'm not sitting here saying that rico Dowdle is better than what ezekiel elliott was when he was there maybe he will show that he can be but i'm more thinking maybe this is just more tony pollard can't handle that workload and the coaches knew that um, or and hope maybe that that could change, and it didn't. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I actually have a totally different view. Good. And I, this is going to be something where, for me, I look at Tony Pollard the mover. Pre-injury Tony Pollard looks vastly different than post-injury. Not even injury, it's the surgery. And multiple surgeries, too. So, fractured fibula. Also had a multi-ligament high ankle sprain where multi-ligament tearing, let's say. Okay. So you have to recover from two separate injuries. And he did so in, what was it, the NFC Divisional Round against the Niners. So his return to play was roughly like six and a half, seven months. When in reality, both of those injuries, take 10 to 12 months for full return to play wow there you go return to play wow return to performance yeah in my opinion closer to 15 months return to performance Wow. and that's why we when we talk about like acls and things like that oh no it's great he's coming back in seven months yes you're playing in seven but are you those things are two different, vastly different things. You can get on the field and be better than your backup, but that's what a lot of high-end athletes. Nick Chubb's going to come back next year and be better than than Ford and better than Hunt. Of course he is. That's just how good he is. But he, the level of performance that he was at before at optimum at 100% is nowhere near where it is now. We're seeing the same thing with Tony Pollard. And we saw it. God, was it the game against the Giants? He broke that. He broke a long. It was a catch and run. He got caught. Yeah. Last year, no chance anyone catches Tony Pollard. Yeah. And that's the difference. Is for some reason, the Cowboys medical staff deemed him as a hundred percent available to start the year, and that was a awful awful mistake he is a totally different mover he's compensating for that injury you can tell when he cuts you can you can tell because when he gets hit now there is no there's no absorption and then reproduction of force with it. so right now it's just i get hit i go down right before tony power was so good at creating yards after he was contacted 
and in different type different ways and his balance post contact was pretty high at now it's just it's not existent so when you see that type of fall off you know i and i 100 the is it the volume is it the system honestly i don't think it's any of it. it's that they rushed him back from two pretty serious surgeries that take twice as long to recover from than what they allotted and so you're going to see tony power the rest of this year struggle mightily to get back to where he was in his prior form because he's just he's does yeah well that makes you know that makes a lot of sense um you know from compared to what i knew but i one is i to be honest the only Cowboys I've been watching this year have been Rico Dowdle, um, yeah. C.D. Lamb, Jake Ferguson, and some Dak Prescott. I haven't, yeah. I have not looked at Tony Pollard once yet in any of my analysis. I just kept yeah. seeing the box scores and just kind of going, "Well, okay." So, and just being the the Elliot fan that I've been for years, I've just kind of smiled and gone, well, they got what they asked for. But I think right. what you're saying, I love what you're saying because that gives us a lot more clarity and understanding as to what that is. And, you know, we'll be rooting for Tony Pollard, obviously, to um, to recover and be back better than ever next year um, as a result. Hopefully he doesn't incur any more injuries that continue that may damage yeah, the, the that's kind of the had. yeah, that's kind of the thing where you kind of worry a bit too. Is like, like if this is a Cowboys playoff team, like hopefully they, hopefully they realize at some point we need to, we need to lessen his touches because or you sit him a couple games and, and see if you know you can kind of mitigate some of that damage. Um, that could actually happen, but I mean it's just tough, man. I mean it's just, it's a tough ask. And, do you, it's just it just seems pretty obvious but i'll ask it anyway because it sounds like oh yeah you, you know it it seems like the, the obvious answer for why they did this is that they probably felt pressure that they needed to have their starter on the field and ready to go and that and mm-hmm. and they felt like that if they didn't you know that was going to be yeah. a problem that they didn't have confidence in the other guys or that there's this as an athlete, you put yourself under tremendous pressure on your own to get back sooner than ever. And and the and when you have athletes who are really good say, no, I'm going to take longer. I'm going to take care of my body. A perfect example of that was Michael Thomas. Because Michael Thomas pissed off Sean, um, or, or, yes, yeah, Sean yeah. Payton. He yeah, pissed, it right. was clear he pissed off Sean Payton. But, you know, when an athlete like Thomas who, you know, I've talked about a lot saying that, you know, Cardell Jones said the minute I got that job at Ohio State, he was literally attached to me, like almost annoyingly so, wanting to make sure that we were on the same page with everything so that he could obsessively get get me ready. And then when Drew, and I remember hearing that story, and when Drew, they got drafted, you could see him on Twitter. He, I looked up his Twitter after, literally during the draft when he got announced, and within five, I think five or ten minutes of him getting drafted, he literally tweeted Drew Brees and was like, "Let's get to work." Like, yeah, like he's that kind of guy. So if that kind of guy, 
who's so obsessive and dedicated and driven is like, I'm not playing and you can, you can be mad all you want. I need to take care of my body. That's telling. And yeah, it is. No, it it definitely is. And it, you know, in Pollard's case, it's tough because no, your question is, you know, like, why do they do this? And the biggest reason they do this is, you know, when you go and get a surgery, the surgeon usually says, this is your timetable for recovery. You have, you have five months. NFL medical staffs take that five months and say, Tony Pollard is going to be ready to play in five months. Not. Tony Pollard is going to be ready to perform at the previous level Tony Pollard used to perform at in five months. So a lot of times NFL organizations want to be, just want to hear the, yes, he is ready. Yes, he can go back in the game. But they fail to realize that the steps to get them back to prior performance, there's a lot of those. And especially in this case, when you have a multi-ligament ankle injury and a fractured fibula. Like, this is not like an easy, it's not a, 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 it's not a torn, a partially torn hamstring where, okay, like Justin Jefferson, you sit out for four to six weeks and you, you rehab that and you should be fine, right? There shouldn't be any long-term lingering effects. This is a serious injury, the, t- the multi, like two surgeries, but that's that's the that's what happens, and I think we're seeing that. And you know, the answer is: Is he ready? Sure, he's able to play, but he's not very good. Like he's not doing, he's not moving the needle for that NFL offense. Yeah, like I guess the thing is, it, for any NFL offense, like he's he, in name only. Yeah, like current current Tony Pollard wouldn't start on very many teams because he's not very good. Right like, there's nothing he does near the level he was doing at last year because, like, his calling card was his ability to accelerate, yeah. his ability to take contact, negate contact. Like, he was great at all of those things so much. So even when Zeke was in his prime, we were calling for Tony Power to get more touches than Pro Bowl Zeke. Yeah. But now it's there's a you know, big disconnect, and it, it's I'm hope, hoping that his career kind of gets salvaged uh, somehow because he's a he's a great player when he's healthy, but he just hasn't been given the opportunity to get back to that. And that makes sense, and and it's it also kind of adds to the idea. I remember hearing about Cedric Benson, the former Texas running back, yes, and how former Bear, and, yeah, yeah, so Bear greats. Know, Four five five forty at the combine. Okay, yeah. that's pretty darn good for a big back, you know. Yeah. And then, like late in his career, like I think when he joined the Bengals or rejoined the Bengals or was you know late in his career, he said, "I don't think I could run a four seven, you know. Yeah. I, I probably couldn't run a four seven. Now is that because of the injuries that he sustained over his career that a running back sustains or a player sustains and they get the surgeries and they come back and they play, but they, they continue to take a pounding and never fully heal um, as a result of that. I mean, is it, you know, when we look at Tony Pollard, are we concerned that he's never going to fully heal from those because of the, the pounding that he's taking and that he came back early. And that means that, that, it's a crapshoot of whether that acceleration returns. 
it, that's a really good question, and it's a that's a big. It depends, but what a lot of it depends on is is he going to be given the leeway to the quick snippet you told about Cedric Benson is he's been so banged up. You're you're trying to constantly recover from injuries rather than worry about performing better, right? Like you're constantly worried about having enough gas in the tank to get home and you're not really worried about the performance of the car. Right. And that's kind of the same thing. And these guys are just worried that they're going to have enough to get through game by game. Um, especially as, after you get to year three, four league, you know, they're not really concerned about the performance, like at being super high end because they know, if you're a guy like, you know, Pollard or like Cedric Benson, it's like, you're, you're the number one back in the room. That's just how it is. And de facto, I get just, you know, I like that's who you are at that point. Um, you've earned that stat. Um, but you, you're, you play through injuries and you're probably never going to get back there because you're never afforded the time to heal. It's um, such a weird thing. Cause when it, you, it, you know that, what it is. Because when it, you say it, I'm yeah. like, I would think, well, they're afraid. They're afraid that someone's going to take their job because the competition is tight enough with the guys that they keep bringing in every year. But then at the same time, I'm like, but they're willing to roll out the crappy version of this guy. Like, you, you know, is he really that much better? But then you think, well, in certain areas of the game, maybe he is. He maybe he's more assignment sound. Maybe, and that's the you know. and that's the thing, and and that's what a lot of times at the running back position, I think. You know, a lot of coaching staffs will, will take mistake free rather than the one play touchdown. Yeah. Because also, too, more mistakes means they've made a bad coaching decision and their jobs on the line, too. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the, the big deal in, in that sense. Kenyon Drake versus Frank Gore in Miami. Perfect example of that. Yeah, one was so much more talented at that point in their careers, and the other just didn't make mistakes. Yeah, and that's a big deal, and we've seen it kind of across the NFL. You know, it's that's just how it. Until you prove as a rookie or as a young player, you you can play you know fundamentally sound, mistake free, you know, good assignment football, then you're kind of gonna be rotating until you can do that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, let's. Let's end this with a the thought of another running back, and that's that's a running. You you mentioned the New York Jets and Brees Hall, and how you know we we still have yet to find out whether it's him or whether it's you know the scheme or a combination of both. Because it was fa- fascinating. The first run I saw against the Bills didn't look like he had it. He just you know, and then he had a couple plays like that. And then a few weeks later, I think against the Broncos, I was like, ooh, it's looking better. That's definitely looking like it's coming back. And then mm-hmm. since then, it's like you said, it's just just hasn't really, the production really hasn't been there. And I haven't checked in with to watch him since. And that's one that I want to definitely do. But their backup, Michael Carter, you know, is a pretty good running back, you know, from all, all you know, he's not, you know, he's considered a scat back. So you watch him and certainly one of the better receivers out of his draft class, he and Javante Williams together. He's a good route runner, really knows how to catch the ball. You know, my buddy Jay Moyer over at Fantasy Astronauts would argue yeah. that, that 
that Michael Carter was the best receiving back out of that class and it wasn't even close. And I could see why he'd say that. I mean, he ran good option routes. He certainly understood where to be for his quarterback. Route depths were good. All of that um, catches the ball very, you know, well. And he runs hard for his size, but he's not a, you know, he's not a 17-20 touch per game back long term. So the Jets, you know, they added Dalvin Cook, and you're like, well, Michael Carter isn't bad. Like, why they need Cook on top of that? Must be because of Hall. But now it's like Cook, Hall, that offensive line, that quarterback, does it even really matter? I feel like they just did kind of a mercy cutting of Michael Carter. Like, just said, we're going we're gonna to let you out of here, and we're going to give you a chance to have a career. It's it was it's really interesting. So okay, he signed with the Cardinals, by the way. He signed. He, oh, good. He did. He signed with the Cardinals, um, which I think is a good spot for him. I think he he can he's a good two behind Connor. Yeah. Um, he can offer some stuff that Keontae Ingram can't. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's tough because the New York Jets are struggling to get explosive plays, and Michael Carter is not an. Not an explosive play guy. No, but I also think that you know he's a he's a big piece in that locker room. So I was kind of surprised that they cut him. Um, but I think they want to give Izzy some run too. Because I yeah. think Dalvin Cook at this point in his career is just he doesn't have it anymore. It's fine. Um, but Izzy can provide a little bit of a spark and spell Brees in a way that Dalvin Cook can't right now. And, and give you something, give you a little bit of unknown, give you a little bit of mystery. And I think that's going to be good for that offense because they need something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Carter's an interesting one because he he's, you know, whatever happens with James Conner, I, I don't know how, how much longer he's going to be playing at this level. But, you know, if, if Carter gets a chance to start, he's a good back. He doesn't do anything overwhelmingly well, I think. Right. I think he's a good receiver. He's good in pass pro. He makes sound decisions. I always love the decision they can get second level to yeah. make the first guy miss. Um, he could be a starting running back in the NFL, right? Yeah, he's and, like a Justin Forsett, you know, sure. type of player. I think he's like a Rashad White level player. That's even better. Which is yeah, which is totally fine. Yeah. Like that that that's a starting caliber running back on on, on some NFL team. Um, which is fine. But, yeah, I'm interested to see how he gets integrated in that Cardinal system and if they keep him around um, past this year. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. And it's funny that you brought up White because of the two players you brought up today at running back have really improved, like, their approach to to between the tackles running. Yes, 100%. And, and, and both of them have not had the offensive lines to do it. It's like – it's like someone finally looked at them and said, hey, look, man, both of you, you need to know, and, and I'm just going to tell it to you straight. Our offensive line sucks relative to what it is you're trying to do. Like if yeah. you want to keep your job here and you want to be doing anything, you better drop your pads the minute yeah, you hit you that hole and 100%. power through, my man, because you got to get some tough yards. Yeah, don't do, yeah. don't do the fancy shit right now because right. we don't have the offensive line for that to happen. You get – you see a linebacker and nobody else around you have fun, you know, 100%. but you don't nothing else. And, and those guys to their credit, especially at the end 
and well both of them really for that both of them have really impressed me on that level because they were both guys I just looked at and I would go I'd just sigh every time I I'd watch them on tape at, at in school because it was like they're good but they gotta learn this because they're otherwise they're going the Kenyon Drake route you, you yeah know? no 100% that was that was my big knock on ETN coming out was he looked great through contact at times and then other times it was you know almost not the skill was non-existent yeah like he would he would almost he would almost tackle himself in a way which yeah. is and that's what i noticed a lot of and he, he's but he's a very linear driven runner he doesn't have a lot of he doesn't have a lot of make you miss yeah but if he gets a runway he can he can house it from anywhere on the field no. um and he's done a lot better job of getting through skinny creases and and doing some of those things that you see, you know, high-level running backs do. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's been great. The offensive line's awful. But, yeah. you know, it's just, <laughs> you got, hey, you got to put your nose down and get a, get a few sometimes. And it's been tough to watch sometimes with that offense. So so help me, um, help me cut, get back to reality here because as a Browns fan, um, oh, yeah, help me get back it. to reality. Is, is it – is it, it, it? It's just talk that Tom Brady is that the, the idea. They're just trying to float the idea of Tom Brady coming to Cleveland. There's no, I, there's no way Tom Brady's coming to Cleveland. Yeah, there's no way. No, I, 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 I don't think so. But I do think the Browns are long term. We've said this before. They're in trouble. Yeah. I mean, once you lose the engine of your offense and the supposed savior at quarterback isn't looking like much of a savior, you know, or play injured. Yeah. It's not good. And now it's, Hey, it's, it's Dorian Thompson Robinson. Time. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just say this since it's my, I'm contractually obligated, you know, you know, Chad Kelly did have a four. He's out there. He had a four interception game and it was awful. It was his worst game of his career probably. And he admitted as much of that, tried to do too much in the finals of the CFL. Um, as he's going to go probably likely accept player of the year awards um, this week. But I also saw a story that I had never seen before. Now he told it, but I don't think he's one to like lie. I think he's more just one to do dumb things. He's probably does dumb things because he doesn't lie. Um, he's kind of more that personality sure, <laughs> more sure. than anything. But sure. he told a story about how he told a story about when he was with the Broncos that he came into a game when Case Keenum got knocked out of it and Aaron Donald apparently looked at him and said, you should be starting here. You're, you're the best quarterback they've got, you know? And, and he didn't realize that Donald was actually talking to him, but it was like, yeah, now defensive players are known for pumping up guys and, and saying stuff to knock them down too. So that could have been a little gamesmanship there, but it was, it was just a moment where it made me laugh because I was thinking, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would like the wishful thinking of saying if Aaron Donald knows, maybe it's good enough for the Cleveland Browns. Hey, there, there's a lot of, there's a, there's more than a few guys throughout the league that should be starting yeah. that are just, that just might never, not, might never get out to me. We've seen with Josh Dobbs, right? I mean, yep. like what he's done has been magnificent. We could do a whole show on that, but I mean, my goodness, he's gone from, journeyman to he's the 
he's the betting favorite to start next year. Yeah. In I, Minnesota. And he and he's a great story that we probably should talk more about because I mean, I remember watching him in a film room with uh, with a writer and and she nominated him for, you know, as a UT as a t- Tennessee fan and it, admittedly, you know, after that session I was kind of like I'm not impressed. I was not impressed at all with Josh Dobbs, other than his I remember watching him in college. Like, yeah. yeah. So where he's traveled, how he's traveled there, because the Steelers, Steelers could you? I mean, I, I just jokingly to like to troll some oh. of my Steelers friends. I said, yeah. who would you rather have, Josh Dobbs or Kenny Pickett, right now? You know, and and I added a couple other answer possibilities like Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph. But you know, I mean, yeah, the, do that with a lot of teams, and you're going to end up saying Josh Dobbs. Yeah, he's he's. One thing that I think we do see is he does have a knack for playing well given the circumstances of a new situation. Like, I bet there's oh, a skill for that as a quarterback. Just like, like, drop me in the middle of a, drop me in the middle of a crazy situation and I'll at least be competent for I you. I mean, he is an absolute chameleon. It's, it's, it's really incredible because, you know, for a guy, and I was talking to my friend about this, and I'm like, the thing that's kind of marvelous about this is less than a week. So he had five days to to get to new job site to learn the coaches' names and then play an NFL game against a top 10 defense and win, not knowing – and he admits it was the, the interviews yeah. were incredible. I watched everyone. They're so funny. He's like, I'll be honest. I didn't know some of the players' names. I didn't know the cadence. And I didn't know I had to have, like, Coach O'Connell, like, translate the calls to me in the headset because I didn't know how to read the information. So he's just out there winging it. And uh, uh, bravo to O'Connell because yeah. he just gave him – He's like, I gave him free reign to just do what he just do what he does. Cause like at that point, we have no one else put in the game. Just let the kid be comfortable. And he's been awesome. I mean, yeah. I thought he was really good in Arizona, but like he think of this too. He did all this. No Justin Jefferson. Yeah. You're yeah. missing a top three receiver in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your best your... offensive weapon. Yeah, one of your running backs is out too. So you have, you know, even yep, your running back cores Achilles. Yeah. Your other Madison's not very good, you know, and it's, he did all of that kind of himself. He's done it two straight weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just happy the kid gets a chance. But I mean, he's, he's playing himself into like, hey, like, this might be your bridge quarterback for the yeah. Vikings. Very well you, might be. And, a and, you know, people need to understand, like, you know, I've talked about Jared Goff when he came to the Rams and how yeah. going from the, the, um, why do I want to call it the run and shoot? What's the offense that, that Cal played? All these teams play in the South. And like oh, Texas um, Tech. I know you're talking so air raid, air raid. Yeah. Going yeah, from yeah. air raid. Thank you. I'm having a senior moment going from That's air okay. raid. Going from air raid to to the West Coast is like I, I've I've had a quarterback coach say to me it's like going to a West Coast system is like having to learn Chinese, 
and sure. and and then and then playing in an, a real NFL game is I I asked is it like going to like like going to a place in China and the, I said like say the Long King Ice Festival and being in the middle of like some big event in a city as with a bunch of native speakers and now suddenly you have to go to the bathroom really bad and you have to ask for <laughs> sure. where's the nearest bathroom yeah, sure. and not piss your pants like and and that's like sure. that's yeah. basically facing an a gap blitz with like some weird coverage behind it um you know or some fire zone stuff or different things that are half looks that you know hybrid looks that are happening um to you and you have to like not lose lose it you know hold your water during that so yeah. you know and jared goff i mean unfortunately for him he needed some diapers basically you know in year one for sure but when you look at what josh dobbs did jared goff at least had a whole summer to learn like how do i use the bathroom in chinese <laughs> now he might when the answer he got was go you know go south by southwest on this street and they're saying it super fast and you go by this door it has a pink dragon on it don't go to that one though it's the one on the the green door the one with the green yeah, door yeah, has yeah, a better yeah, urinal yeah. and then this you know but you're gonna have to knock three times and like saying this so fast you're like you're still at like south by southwest yeah. you know that's where golf was this is like this is like getting dropped in not knowing any chinese oh, whatsoever it was a, it's incredible. I mean, it yeah. is a like it is an absolute. That was a master class in just improv. Yeah, yeah. he like, didn't. All he, right, he was like cool. he, he had to like read people's faces and just going. You know what? They pointed in that direction. I'm just going to figure it out going in that direction and see what I find next. <laughs> like, actually yeah, it, no, hundred <laughs> percent. Like it's, reading it's people fat. or something. It's just absolutely fascinating. I remember, like, he, he was like, he was like, yeah. I asked Addison, uh, you know, like what his route was, and I said, okay, cool. Like, yeah, you're doing like you're doing a dig. Cool. Uh, TJ, all right, you're hooked. Okay, cool, got it. Yeah. It's like when you're in the backyard, yeah, and you're like telling your, you're drawing the plays in the football, yeah. Like that's basically what he was doing. Yeah. Um, it, it was pretty, it's it was pretty impressive to watch leading the game room drive and everything. But um, but yeah, we could talk about that for hours. Yeah, it, but it was he was a bundle of fun to watch, without a doubt. But this hour is coming to an end, and listen, we had a really great time being able to deliver this to you. And Absolutely. We we appreciate you following you know following us on the RSP cast with going deep. You know we do this every other week. We hope all of you have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. I know for most football people this is one of their favorite holidays. Absolutely. I know it is for me. I I knew it had to be for you. Um, you know so um, you know hope you guys enjoy it. Um, and of course you can follow brandon at angelo underscore fantasy me at matt waldman check out our work there and you can go to the links that we have available to check out the rest of our stuff because you know brandon does some fantastic work that you should be absolutely subscribing to and and you know we're going to be talking more draft as we get you know as we get into the winter holidays um and start talking more about you know some of the prospects coming up but we'll still Absolutely. be thinking nfl because the playoffs are so much fun so yeah so we're gonna sure. have to deal with that too so again thank you all 
And, uh, you know, anything, if there's anything you'd like us to talk about that you're interested in, you know, you can email us, you can, or contact us on Twitter. You can email me, mattwaldmanrsp at gmail.com. You can find me there and, and we can, uh, we'll figure out what we can do. Thanks again. Have a good week.